the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us in worshiping God, hopefully with the heart of a child. Today begins a short two-part series called Like a Child. You know, I need to make sure this is familiar. Can we get the house lights back on? Somebody, please. And I need to be able to see everybody's faces. You can join us online by giving us a thumbs up or a smiley emoji or something. But I need to know, have you ever heard this statement from Jesus before? Unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How many have ever heard that before? Uh, Raise your hand if you, like me, find that just a little bit scary. And here's why that's scary to me, because anytime Jesus says, if you do this, or if you don't do this, you cannot be part of my kingdom. I take notice of that. I'm serious about that. I want to know because I want to be part of that kingdom. Sometimes in the scriptures, the kingdom refers to where God reigns on high in an invisible throne room. Sometimes it's talking about eternal heaven on the other side of all of this. But most of the time when it's talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about the reality that Jesus is asking us to help him create. The kingdom he's building right now, the family that he's trying to build right now on earth. And no matter where that is, the kingdom always means God's in control and I belong to him. He's my father. He's my shepherd. He is my king. And things are right. Things are how they should be. I desperately want to be part of that, don't you? So if God says, hey, listen, if you do this, or if you don't do this, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, I think it's worth taking notice. And I'm not arrogant or naive enough to think that I've got all of what Jesus ever meant by this down. But over the next two weeks, we'll look at some of the core ones that I think are super important. We absolutely have to get this down if we're going to love and live like a child. Does that sound all right? Sound worth doing? Good. Praise God. Here's the thing. I'd love for us to start out by just kind of making sure we know a few things it's not. Because a lot of times when we talk about being more childlike, we automatically go into this nostalgic idea of children being these perfect little angelic beings who never say or do any wrong, and they're just exactly how all adults should be. And anybody who ever feels that way has never been around a real child. Right? It's just not how it really is. Uh, In fact, if you look back in your childhood and you go, I just wish I could go back to how I was as a kid. I was so innocent. I was so good. Blah, blah, blah. After this service today, you should call your mom or your dad, one of your siblings, one of your uncles or aunts you stayed with occasionally. I think they'll set you straight on that. As Stephen Wright once said, a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. Another thing he said that I totally agree with is this. The face of a child says it all, especially the mouth part of the face. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, there we go. But again, here's the thing. We we could just set set it aside. We just know when Jesus wants us to be like a child, he's not asking us to be childish. He's not asking us to be petty. He's not asking us to throw tantrums. He's not asking us to be selfish and immature and all about us and still being needed to be taught the very basics about how to treat other people with respect. Children are wonderful. I love hanging around children. I love hanging around them and being with them and teaching them. They're wonderful. But that idea that they're already perfect and if we could just get in touch with our inner child again, 
That's not really where the solution is. Are we good so far? We just kind of lay that aside. So what does it mean? Here's what I believe at least a good place to start would be. If kids have a superpower at all, they know that they need to team up more than we do. They know that somebody else needs to be part of their life, part of their family, part of their equation. There's no doubt because it's literally true. There's no way around it for them. There's no way for children to live on their own, provide for themselves, raise themselves. They have to have somebody else. And so it's easier for them to trust because they have to. Their life depends on it. It's easier for them to try at least to make friends because they know that their life depends on that. And that's where we're going to start today. If you've got a Bible study, as you always do, today you actually have some little things to fill out. I'd like for you to try that. There's pens in the pews, and wherever you are joining us online, there's got to be somewhere you could write it down. And at at the bare minimum, if you'd at least say this out out loud with me, love like your life depends on it. That's how children love. They know that they need it. They're not just trying to love others because they kind of have to or out of duty. This is what life is about. We show love. And they get that on a fundamental level. And so did Jesus. And honestly, here's what happens. When we start to actually show not only our kind of love, the childlike kind of love, the adult kind of a little bit more, less selfish, immature kind of love. Whenever we get to the level of Jesus's love, when the Holy Spirit is producing a supernatural kind of love in us, that's when we really start to experience the full life that Jesus promised in John 10, 10. When he said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, life to the full. When we really get it, that our life That full life, life as it was meant to be lived, meant to be experienced, the kind of life we all crave, it really, we can only find it when we first love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And we express that daily by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And when that becomes how, what we know, this is what it is my life. My life depends on this. This is who I am. This is what I do. This defines me. That's when life starts to be full. And this has always been the case. In the Old Testament, New Testament, it's one great big story. As Boris Golden reminded us a couple weeks ago, it's all one great big testament in so many different ways. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10 for a moment. If you got your Bible with you, you can open it. If you got a Bible app, it's going to be on the screen. But we're going to look into this. Let me set this up for a second. Here's what's just happened. God has dramatically saved the children of Israel, as they're often called, from Egypt, from their slavery in Egypt, He's led them through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. He's taken them to Mount Sinai, given them the first copy of the Ten Commandments. And by the time they come down the hill, Moses and Joshua, they come down the hill. They've already made a new idol and started worshiping it in a bunch of really terrible ways. So he throws down those tablets, shatters them, begs God for one more chance. 
God gives him one more chance. He goes back up the mountain and comes down again with a second copy of the Ten Commandments. How many have heard this before? You, you know this? Okay, just making sure this is the moment in the story. So here comes Moses with the second copy of the Ten Commandments, and they are paying attention. They know now that what he's about to say, literally their life depends on it. And so he's going to explain one more time. This is who this God is that you're serving And this is what he's like, and this is what he expects from the people who follow him. Let's see what he said back then. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Now he digs deep into who this God is. He says, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. And now he starts to explain, this is the kind of God you are, you you serve, the kind of God you have, the kind of children of God he expects you to be. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who, excuse me, sorry about that, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And like all children, once again, throughout the scripture, we're taught how to love God's way. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's not normal. It's not within our inner child embedded. The craving for it is, the traces of the image of God is absolutely in each one of us. Absolutely, you can see that in there. That's part of what it means to be like a child. But we need God. We need his Holy Spirit in us to love and to experience joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control on a supernatural level. It's not natural. It's not normal without his help to love and experience those other things on that deep of a level. So Isaiah says, learn. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Proverbs 31, 8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And Jesus in the New Testament, he takes us even deeper. He not only says that these two commandments to love God and to love others as you love yourself are inseparable. He actually attributes it to us. How we treat others is how we treat him. Remember in Matthew 25, the, the simile or the parable, whatever you want to call it, of the, of the sheep and the goats. And he says, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I needed shelter, clothing. I was sick, I was in prison. You gave me what I needed. You gave me what I needed. How we treat others, especially those who for whatever reason at that moment have less than we 
do. Less time, less money, less shelter, less clothing, less food, less whatever it is that we could share if we're willing to do. When we share that with someone who has less than we do, Jesus counts that as us doing that for him. If you notice, all through the stories of Jesus, it's always the people who know they need help and ask for help that get the help. Here's one of many, many examples. Matthew 21, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they ask him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them. And he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. I love it so much when Jesus quotes scripture. Because not only is he quoting something from the Old Testament and that ties it in with the New. Not only does it always have something kind of obvious to do with what's going on. There's children shouting praises to God. And he's saying, yeah, they're shouting for me. And there's some obvious stuff. But every single time... Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Try that again. Every single time, when you dig back, when you, I, I love to use those little links, those little footnotes, those little things that any study Bible or if you study online, your app lets you do. I dare you to do that every time. Every time Jesus quotes the Old Testament, go back and read what he's quoting because it's always even more than what it looks like he's doing. In this case, he's saying children and infants. God said he'd do that. He'd call for praise from children and infants. There they are. It's happening. That's already cool. But what he's quoting is Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is a psalm of childlike wonder, of standing in awe before God, just amazed that God would even notice you. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens and the earth, the heavens, the, sorry, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars with you have set in place. What is man that you would be mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. And in the middle of all that, he says, you even ordain praise from children and infants, the very weakest and most helpless of all human beings are the people you like to have praise you and give them reason to praise you. That's incredibly amazing. Do you remember the children's story called The Emperor's New Clothes? It's a creepy, weird story. <laughs> As are many nursery rhymes and fairy tales when you really think about them. But it's so, it's so real. It, it, another thing I think that children are better than adults at in general is just seeing through all the layers and complexity that adults add to everything. And all of our fears and all of our anxieties and all the things that we're worried about, making sure we appear right in certain ways, making sure that everybody thinks we're on track, making sure that we're not offending people, blah, 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 blah. But children can just cut through this, through it all and just kind of see some things that sometimes we can't. 
If you don't know that story, uh, very briefly, it's, it's a pretend story, but it's pretty true. It expresses truth. The king and all of his court are so corrupt, and these two scallywags, these two criminals figure it out. And so they decide they're going to just scam them and expose them big time. So they go and they say that they have this kind of cloth that's made out of thread that you can't see if you are foolish or if you don't deserve the position of power that you're in. So, of course, the king and all of his court pretend that they can see it. Oh, that's beautiful. You can't see it? I can see it. Oh, that's awesome. And so they pretend to make him clothes, and they go all the way through, and it gets all the way to that parade you just saw a second ago. And the king is walking along in his underwear, some versions of the story, maybe even less. And one of the kids in the crowd goes, why is the king naked? Because they know exactly what's going on. They don't see, they're not worried about what everybody thinks about them. They don't care. They're like, look at this. This is really obvious what's going on. And for us adults, a big part of what we have to do, especially parents and grandparents and family who love our children, we've got to teach them that sometimes things are a little more complicated than we think. Do you, you know that, right? We've got to teach them some things that they don't understand. That's part of our job. But I believe part of their job and part of what Jesus is saying when he says we need to be like a child, to love like a child, is to realize that sometimes it's not that complicated. When Jesus says things like, give to those who ask of you and do not expect repayment. I think children are sometimes more likely to understand that what he meant was, give to those who ask of you and do not expect repayment. Right? And us adults are always like, unless they're going to spend it on beer or drugs, right? Unless they're going to, no, because they got where they got, they kind of deserved it. Let me tell you, kid, let me tell you why we don't need to help them out today. And sometimes there's a place for some of that, don't get me wrong. But the heart of us, our go-to should be much more childlike than adult-like in that. Is this making sense? Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to them and placed him among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. One trivia thing you may not know about the old, how the original text of the Bible written is they didn't use any kind of punctuation at all. So we have to guess where the periods are and where the quotation marks are. And I think over, overall we do a pretty good job. Me personally, this is just me. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. But me personally, I think Jesus would have put quotation marks around, sarcastic quotation marks around the word lowly. I think he would have said, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because there's nothing really lowly about this child. But the reason the child is standing next to Jesus is not because that particular child was so amazing. It was because that was a child who happened to be near Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, come here a second. And they said, okay. He said, stand next to me. And the kid said, okay. That's pretty cool. 
And if that's how we always approach Jesus, we're always trying to get as close as we can. And when he says, hey, come over here even closer, we go, okay. We say, stand right next to me. We say, okay. That's pretty cool. That's when we connect with Jesus like a child. And we have a chance of being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure that that's really a scale. I think it's more just saying, guys, you guys are going the total wrong direction here. You need to go the other direction than the way you're thinking. Now, obviously, there's, there's metaphorical ways to welcome children. We already talked about just a second ago. If you reach out to anybody who has less than you in any sense, any way that you could help them and they need help and you do that, I think that that counts. I think we can squint just a tiny bit and this verse applies to that. But for a moment this morning, I'd like you to consider there's a lot of ways to actually welcome literal, actual children. Here in our church, we have a ministry called GLOW. It stands for Go Light Our World. It's our children's ministry. They always need more people to help them, more people to serve, more people to hold the littlest ones, more people to encourage the toddlers and start them learning the very, very basics, start discipling the kids as they get older. A a lot of people, the vast majority of people actually give their lives to Christ before fifth grade. We always need more people to help and serve our children. They need help at Smoky Mountain Christian Camp and several other places that we partner with. Just this past week, I learned about something I didn't even know. I'd like to share this with you. It's not for everybody, but it might be for some of you. At Children's Hospital in Knoxville, almost daily, they have some children that are born that are addicted to drugs. It's not their fault. Nothing wrong with the kid, but the kid's born in withdrawal. So there is a way to volunteer. They call them baby cuddlers. They need people that come. They don't pay you or anything, but you just go and you just hold and comfort these babies. You're the the arms, the comforting voice, soothing sounds that they crave more than anything. You can be part of that. They screen you hard. They supervise you closely as well they should, but just about anybody could Join that team if that appeals to your heart, if, that, if you've got time, if you've got arms, if you've got something in your heart that that tugs, maybe that could be you. Later on today, after the second service, we're actually going to have an information meeting, and I would love for you to consider this. Seriously, every one of you, at least pray about it, consider it. There's a huge, massive need for foster parents in East Tennessee. And Kimberly Morgan, right here from our church, she actually is representing an organization. She works there. That's her job that, that helps recruit people and train people to do this. It's not for everybody. There's some of us in this room that I'm sure, really, that's, we'd do more harm than good. We don't need to be foster parents. There's some of us that our hearts are just too soft. And having a kid for a little bit and giving them back over and over, you just ruin us. It's probably not you either. Maybe you should be the baby killers. Won't get so attached in one or two. But there's some of us in this room that I think probably could and should be doing this. And if all of us at least ask God, hey, could it be me? At least think about it, pray about it. Maybe come to the meeting. Here's here's the second part, though, that I believe that really 
This has to at least be part of what Jesus said, when, what he meant when he said that you've got to be like a child. And that's this. Children love like there's no tomorrow. And here's another blank you can fill in. Give you a second. No tomorrow. And then let's say that phrase together. Love like there's no tomorrow. Here's what that means. If, if, you, if you're supposed to do something, do it today. And that's children's biggest weakness too, right? How many have ever been around kids and they're like, can't we do it today? Can't we do it right now? Can we do it right now? Is it time yet? Are we there yet? There's like right here, right now, come on, right? But sometimes as adults, we just completely lose that and we get so good at procrastinating, so good at saying, you know what? One of these days I might actually get around to that. I think that might be a good thing. You know what, maybe, maybe next year, maybe next year things might loosen up a little bit in my schedule. And may, maybe next, you know what, maybe next week I'll pray about it, I'll think about it, I'll write it down, I'll pencil it in, maybe. We get really good at that. And we forget that even if it does happen next week, when it happens next week, that's that day's tomorrow, that's that day's today, right? Whatever happens always happens today. Yesterday, whatever happened yesterday, it was today then. That's why it got to happen. Whatever's happening today, that's, it's happening today. This is right here, right now. This is today. Tomorrow, if it does happen tomorrow, it's going to be today, tomorrow. We've got to love like there's no tomorrow. We, if God is putting something on your heart, jump in. Why Wait. We must learn to or relearn to fully embrace each day and each person. That's the second blank there. Each person that God puts in your lives. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. If you've got a pen, if you've got something to write down, you've got this handout. There's some places here next to four words. And I'd like to give you a, a second to actually write something down. And I'd also, if you would, this is weird probably, but work with me here. You can whisper to the people right next to you, especially if you get stuck. For a couple minutes here, I really want you to get at least something on each one of these four lines. Because here's what I know. God has given each one of us some gifts and some passions and some resources and some opportunities. Gifts, passions, resources, and opportunities. And he's given those to us so that we will use them. And they're different for everybody. Your, your, your gifts are your talents. They're the things that you're just naturally good at or they're skills that you've worked at for years and gotten better at whether you were naturally gifted or not. It, it, your gifts are also the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit's gifts that he chooses who to give to. I'd like you to take a moment right now and just identify, write, write something down on that line. Especially if you're stuck, ask the people next to you, what do you think I'm good at? Better yet, tell the person next to you what you think they're good at. The passions are the things that break your heart or thrill you. Some of you, when I mention the baby cuddling thing, are just like, oh my gosh, instantly tearing up. There we go. And some people are like, like I'd ever do that. That's not your passion if that's your reaction. God has probably given you a passion somewhere else. There's something that really does. You go, now that needs done. I'm going to take care of that. That's your passion. The things that you do those things and you're like, this is me. This is what life's all about. This is what, this is who I am. That's your passion. 
Your resources can be just about anything. It can be money, time, any of those other gifts or talents, relationships that you have that are healthy and allow you to have some space and some margins to actually reach out to more people. It could be a lot of different things. But it's stuff that you have that you could share if God put that on your heart. It's stuff that you have that other people have less of at this moment. And you could share if you just would. Same thing with the opportunities. Except the opportunities, I hope on that line that you write down something that's already in your head. Something that you know, hey, this is something I've got a chance to do. Somebody's asked me to do this. Or this is something that I've been putting off until tomorrow. What if I did it today? What if I loved like there's no tomorrow? What if I got started at least today? At least committed to it today? In 1 Corinthians, there's a whole chapter called the love chapter. In your Bible study guide, it's just, it's just the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a couple verses from it, though. Uh, this one... Uh, Verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That almost sounds like a contradiction to everything we're saying here, but it's not. He's talking about the childish stuff that we said at the very, very beginning. That's not what Jesus means. Are you with me? He he puts away all the childish stuff. But to be a man of God, a woman of God, to be a mature person in God's kingdom, we're a lot more childlike in all of the senses that we've been exploring today. Loving like there is no tomorrow. Loving like your life depends on it. You are defined by love. You know that you need those relationships with other people and with God himself. And you offer that freely to others. And you live that. About 70 years ago, there's a man named Bob Pierce who prayed a simple prayer. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Bob Pierce is the guy who founded World Vision. God answered that prayer by putting that on his heart. I don't know what he's going to put on your heart today. Let me say it one more time. I, 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 I don't believe that he wants every one of you in this room to be a baby cuddler at Children's Hospital or to be a foster parent. But would you pray about it? Would you think about it? Would you at least offer yourself to God and say, hey, how? and if not that, how do you want me to love How do you want me to show love? Who do you want me to show love to? How do you want me to show your love to them? Because I guarantee you that your life does depend on it. Your full life, the life that God created you to live, depends on you loving like your life depends on it. And loving like there's no tomorrow, somehow, some way. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Talk about a deep passage that we could never uh, totally unpack in one or two minutes, but let me just say this. Faith and hope are focused on the future. Love is the whole time. It's yesterday, it's today, it's tomorrow. It's 
yesterday when today, yesterday was today, it's going to be today when tomorrow is today. Are you following me? Love is, we can experience it right now. And to live like a child, to love like a child in this sense is to live the full life that God has promised. And I invite you into that today. That's exactly what we're asking. I don't know if he's asking you to do a specific thing. I hope he is. Uh, Maybe it's to give your life to him for the first time. Maybe you've never confessed your sins, uh, gotten baptized. You've You've never had a moment where you just surrendered everything to him. Maybe you'd like to officially join this church. Maybe you'd just like to come forward. That's very meaningful to many people to just come forward and pray together. Maybe you just need to be with God and go back and just start filling out those forms just a little bit instead of sing. But what I'm asking you to do is as we stand and sing right now, do what God is putting on your heart. Don't put it off. Live like there's no tomorrow right now. Get it done.